0: Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. Uh, have you ever thought you had something completely nailed down, totally figured out, only to find out that you're completely wrong? Okay, cool. Come <laughs> in. Good company. Uh, that's me with this sermon this week. Um, I, so we're going to be in John 10. Which, if you know John 10, you can turn there uh, right now if you'd like. But John 10 is kind of this familiar, seemingly easy passage about how Jesus is the gate and he is the good shepherd. And so when Tim was like, hey, can you preach on this? I'm like, bro, no problem. I got this. It's not going to be a big deal. And then I start reading this thing, and I'm like, man, this is way more deep than I was prepared for. And so, uh, so thankfully, uh, we have this value around here. We say that uh, we're all lifelong learners. So what that means is if like your opinion on something hasn't changed in a while, uh, you're probably not learning enough. And so um, I learned a whole lot while I was preparing for this message and so whether this sermon goes well or not, I'm giving myself a gold star because I learned a lot. Um, so let me go ahead and uh, open up with this uh, question today. Um, have you ever um, maybe uh, heard from someone or even you yourself say something like, man, I'm just craving the deeper things of God? Has, has that ever come up in conversation? I'm craving the deeper things of God? Or what about, what about this one? Like, um, and, I, and I think that desire of craving the deeper things of God sometimes prompts this statement that I'm not getting fed here. I'm not getting fed at, at this church or in this group or uh, I'm not getting fed by this leader or, uh, or something like that. Have, have anybody heard that before, or not getting fed? Um, when I was in Louisiana, uh, I had, was going to this uh, vineyard church. Uh, it was actually one that I ended up Becoming the youth pastor for um, kind of like right out of high school, and I had a bunch of friends who kind of had this same heart. They were like, man, they were like all my age. We're all like kind of in high school, and we were just like craving the deeper things of God. We were like going to church, and like the the sermons weren't doing it for us. And they like they made sense. They felt too simple, and the church seemed like it was all about the basics, like the 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 same stuff, the really simple things. And so um, a few of my friends um, with the, I think it was the good heart of craving these deeper things of God, this uh, more knowledge of him, uh, ended up meeting a guy out of Dallas who, um, uh, I guess it was just a friend of a friend, and he was kind of like leading this thing um, this sort of a church group, I guess, at the time, where they were all kind of like studying the Old Testament and they were trying to live by the, the, like the Old Testament law. And so for my friends who were like craving the deeper things of God, this was like this exciting thing for them because they were getting to learn more about the Bible, they were learning about Levitical law, and they were like sending it. They were going for it. They were doing all the weird things. <laughs> and... Uh, this So, okay, um, there are parts of this story that I cannot tell you. Um, okay, so hold on. This is going a funny route. I meant this to go a serious route. Um, uh, so uh, this actually developed into a legitimate cult. My friends moved from Louisiana to go to Dallas to be a part of this things, and then it, was, it wasn't a big deal at first, but then it just started developing into, like, these really weird posts on, on social media, and, like, they kind of excommunicated everybody, and then we come to find out that this group had kind of gone away to live in the woods and live in their own community. They had their own Jesus. They had their own king, and... Think of all the horrible things that one might do in a cult and then add a few. It was actually this really destructive time, as you might understand, for a lot of my friends who were simply craving these deeper things, feeling like they weren't getting fed where they were at. Um, kind of like uh, probably, So this lasted maybe a few years. Uh, Jesus and the king ended up dying and the cult dispersed. Uh, this sounds like such a crazy story. I am like telling you guys this. I'm like, I can't believe this actually happened. But, um, and so even now, a lot of my friends who are out of this uh, cult are like still on the mend and probably have a lifetime of healing ahead of them. Um, so for you, <laughs> you probably don't have as crazy of an experience as this in your life after just simply craving something more from God. But what happened to these guys is they, they were craving those things, they were looking for them, they found a leader who they trusted, and he let them down in quite a serious way. And I think uh, a lot of that, um, like that similar story is kind of relatable for a lot of us. I mean, who of us hasn't had a leader that we were looking up to who has let us down at some point along the way? My friends, they, they um, or maybe, maybe you had like a, a pastor in your life or a leader or a discipler who changed your life in this really positive, encouraging, amazing, life-changing way only for their life to fall apart and then leave you stranded with questions of hurt, betrayal, Your faith felt rocky. You questioned God and his care for you. I think we've all had a leader that we've looked up to who has failed us, that left us asking, who should we be listening to? What voice should I be listening to? Am I actually following the right voice? How do I distinguish truth? I trusted them. I thought they were leading me in the right direction, and it turns out, are hypocritical or or whatever it might be in your story. And so here's the question that I would like for us to wrestle with today as we dive into this section. Why does it seem so easy that the like the failure of a leader would cause our faith to be rocky? why does that seem so easy? We all have leaders that fail us, and I'm just just asking, why does it shake our faith so much when we're let down by them? Is this making sense so far? You are with me? So let's go. Um, This is John chapter 10, verse 1. So uh, before before we jump into this, I want to give a little bit more of a a story here. Uh, This is actually one, so we, okay, so like for the last, I don't know, like six weeks, we have been on one day in Jesus's life. This one day in Jesus's life started at the beginning of chapter eight with this woman caught in adultery. And what's interesting, and the reason why I said earlier that I had such a struggle with this Uh, passage, and I think part of it is because of this. Jesus seems to be building this theme, talking about light and darkness and blindness and sight. And so early on in the morning, Jesus, this woman is thrown at his feet, caught in adultery, uh, and then here is where he introduces, I am the light of the world. If you would only follow me, let go of your sin, man, you're free. And then shortly after this, Jesus makes this statement that um, really angers the religious leaders at the time. They get so angry that they stone or they attempt to stone him and Jesus escapes because Jesus asserts that he is God. And he, he escapes, he goes into the outer courts and there he meets a blind man and he heals this blind man and uh, he reintroduces again this idea, hey, I'm the light of the world. You are spiritually in darkness, but man, I'm going to bring you into spiritual light. But not only that, I'm going to heal your physical darkness you literally can't see, and I'm going to bring some physical light to you. And so it's this really, really cool theme that he has going on. Um, and then, and then, what happens is uh, like we talked about this last week or the week before that the the blind man went before the leaders, and then and then he came out, and then Jesus found him, and he he was Jesus basically led him to salvation. Like, how cool is like the, Jesus leads you to salvation? Like, you have to be like extra saved, like <laughs> like after that, like <laughs> like what a cool moment, you know. Um, And and again, he carries on this this theme of of light and darkness. And then chapter 9 closes with Jesus saying this statement, basically, for judgment I've come into the world that those who see will become blind and those who are blind may see. Basically, he's saying, I've come here to determine which one of you Uh, Or or who of you is actually receptive to the light and the truth that I am bringing into this world? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are there uh, in the presence of the blind man and Jesus there in the temple courts with the crowd surrounding them, they say, are you saying we're blind? We're we're leading these people. I think we know what we're doing. Are you saying we're blind? And Jesus says, man, if you were blind, I would know it because you would crave the light of my truth and you do not crave the light of my truth. It has been so blatantly obvious that I am who I say I am. I mean, look at the miracles if you'd like, and you can't accept it. And so here... Jesus seems to kind of take this turn. So we've been talking about light and darkness, blindness and sight. But then what, what it seems like Jesus is doing is he, he kind of reviews the religious leaders who are listening to them. And he's like, okay, maybe this light and darkness thing is, is getting a little bit difficult for you to hold on to. Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about something that's a little bit more familiar. But I'm going to still expose your blindness as leaders. The fact that you were not accepting me for who I say I am. So let's jump in. Verse one. Truly, truly, I say to you. Hey, this is something new. This is something interesting. Pay attention to this. Truly, truly, I say to you. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. He who enters the door by the. Uh, it, it, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls out to his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they don't know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. So here's why they don't understand what he was saying. Jesus is making these really great teachings and really great points, and then all of a sudden, like in modern day, I feel like what what this would be, because uh, he's he's really just kind of explaining the basics of shepherding, which is something that they are all very familiar with. It's like uh, uh, okay, it'd be like like uh, not to like put myself in Jesus' shoes, but like if I healed somebody, <laughs> if I healed somebody right now, uh, and I'm like okay, some of you aren't really getting what I'm doing. Okay, if you like drive into a parking lot, and the arrow is pointed toward you. You're going the wrong way. It's against the law. But (laughs) if you take the other entrance where the arrow's pointed away from you, that is the correct way. And you find a parking spot and you you lock your car, you get out of it, and you go inside. (laughs) Okay? You don't understand what I'm saying. Neither did they. I think think Jesus has yet to make (laughs) what he is saying obvious. So... In this next next section, Jesus makes his figure of speech clear. So Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door for the sheep. I'm a closed door to the thieves and the robbers who might come in and steal them away. And I'm an open door to let them in. And I I think it's interesting, if you know anything about this section, and I kind of hinted at it before, Jesus makes two comparisons. He says, I'm the gate, but then later on, he's going to claim that he's the shepherd. And what I find really interesting is Jesus starts with the gate. I feel like the gate is like the least significant part. Like it's it's not as cool as being the shepherd. It's kind of like a fact that's sort of like tucked away or something, like it wouldn't matter as much. But I I think what we're going to figure out is that the fact that Jesus would claim to be a shepherd is actually going to be really shocking for this crowd that he's speaking to to understand. It's going to be a really difficult thing for them to understand. So what I believe is happening here is Jesus is easing them in to this example of who he is. So verse 8, it says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. And I think this can be referring to a few things. I think um, historically at this time, there's a lot of uh, false messianic riots happening. There's all these uh, f- like false um, people claiming to be Messiah, claiming to be uh, God's uh, chosen one and leading people astray. I think you could also be referring to the leaders who are there right then, and right now, listening to them, that, that these people, <laughs> I mean, look at the crowds that are following me, guys. Here's, here's a crowd who isn't responding to your voice any longer. And, and, and I think to, to kind of, in, like, um, in, in some ways, it's like I kind of see the perspective of, uh, the, the pharisees the religious leaders at the time because there are these revolts going on or, or these false messiahs coming up and so in some way you can kind of sense their protection over their people that man jesus we've seen people like you come and go and we're only left with hurt people please leave us alone But the problem is, is that Jesus up to this point has been proving over and over and over and over again that he is who he says he is and miracles are accompanying with him. And people are saying, I've never seen anything like this. Nobody ever talks like this. Who is this? And so Jesus is much different and they can't accept it. Verse nine, he continues. He reemphasizes, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture And so this is the first time in this word picture that that Jesus takes the metaphor and brings it into reality. He takes this uh, theological statement of fact. He is saying, I am the only way to salvation. I am the door. I am the only way in. And I think this little part about going in and out uh, I wrestled with it a little bit, but I kind of landed on this. I think what he's saying is that this in and out represents this freedom in the kingdom of God, that once you are in, you are free to, to roam and to go find pasture and then to come back and then to go out and to, that there is this, you, you aren't afraid of the wolves who would come to, to find you or the robbers who might steal you away. And then something else about this going in and out. I think I'm started like like I was reading this. and I'm like, man, I, was, I think I'm starting to see this like really beautiful picture unfold that Jesus is making. So it is a it's a common thing all throughout Scripture. Um, I think the verse that I found was in Jeremiah, where it's basically Jeremiah says that that uh, that that Lord, Your word is like food to me. I eat it and I'm satisfied. I eat it and I'm satisfied. And then, and then we see in John 1:1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. And so I, I kind of believe what Jesus is pointing at here, if you would like go along with me to see this picture, that he is the gate, he is the way in, but not only that, he's gonna claim to be the shepherd. So not only does he lead us in, but he leads us through and on to pasture, to his word but then his word is also him that jesus is leading us in and he's leading us through to himself man what a cool picture that he is laying out that salvation is because of him it's through him it's with him it's all about him he's it And I think if I was like a leader of Israel at this point and I'm kind of catching on to what he's saying, I'm starting to feel pretty insecure about my leadership at this point. It's like, man, I was just trying to be a good leader, but man, you're like, you're the gate to the thing and you're like leading them out and you're, Jesus is establishing himself as a better leader. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come. That they may have life and have it more abundantly. Now, if you were like me, um, just a few weeks ago, and I asked you, "Okay, who 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 is the thief?" I think uh, let's just let's just all say it together. Who's the, who, who's the thief? Satan. I would have said the same thing. But apparently, here, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I just made everybody in the room wrong. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, I, I would say the same thing. I think. I think. Uh, it's like, And it's not to say that the devil doesn't steal, kill, or destroy, but Jesus is making it clear that these leaders in their life are the ones who are the poor leaders. They are the thief, they are the robber, they are the poor shepherds of his people. And even, even earlier, just maybe a few hours ago, Jesus had kind of dropped this bomb on them, saying like, hey, okay, you, you guys think that your father is Abraham, He's not. You act a lot like somebody I know. Your son's the devil. And you're acting like him. So the leaders of Israel at this point, and even throughout this day, have shown disdain and frustration and uh, a, a clear willful ignorance of the amazing things that have already been happening throughout this day, that they have kicked out this blind beggar who was miraculously healed, what? And they're so angry at Jesus, they are still ready to kill him. These leaders are the false shepherds who devour their people, and this doesn't mean that. Uh, and I think I kind of covered this earlier, but this doesn't mean that that uh, that 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 they um, that the devil is like the only one who steals, kills, and destroys. He does do that, and they are taking after him. And so I think here in this next verse, we are about to see why Jesus has kind of saved. This uh, claim to be the shepherd until now, because what Jesus is doing at this last sentence he's just said is he is now about to lay into the leaders and make it quite obvious that he is making a stark comparison between him as a leader and them as a leader. He says, "I am the good shepherd," and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. and And I think as Christians. Uh, if you've been a, around the church for any amount of time, when we hear that Jesus is the good shepherd, we're like, yeah, 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 I know Jesus is the good shepherd. We always talk about that. He's the shepherd of my soul. Like, yeah, Jesus is the shepherd. We get it. But to them, this is new. This is a, a new thing. Because at this time, they, when they, like the scriptures that they had, they would understand God as the shepherd of Israel. Think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leads me. And I think at at this time that that there are, uh, there were, even even in the scriptures that they read that there were plenty of other shepherds, like Abraham was a shepherd, Isaac was a shepherd, uh, Jacob was a shepherd, Moses was a shepherd at Midian, David was a shepherd boy, and so shepherding is, is this really common thing. It's this really difficult work, but the shepherd that they would be most familiar with, the ultimate shepherd that they would know would be God himself. It would be God himself. Like, like I said, Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 77, you lead your people like a flock. Psalm 79, we your people and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you. Psalm 95, he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And I think what's happening is, is, is um, like when we kind of compile those scriptures and maybe get a better understanding of what these people understand a shepherd to be, especially God as a shepherd, and for Jesus to say he is a shepherd, there's this very uh, intimate and special relationship that a shepherd has with his sheep. It's a very tender relationship. And so they would understand that this was an illustration of God's care for his own people. In verse 12, Jesus continues, this is that comparison. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And I think at this moment, the intimacy of God as a shepherd is is running through their minds and their imagination as Jesus leads into this next part and seeing, I think, maybe the hurt in Jesus' eyes as he describes the hired hands to watch over the flock of God. That at a, a moment, uh, you know, when life gets difficult, they run. I know a, a leader or a friend like that in your life? That they have actually no care for you or a leader has no care for the sheep and they run when life gets difficult. And I think Jesus is hurt by this because they are hired hands and you would hope that they would care for the sheep and when it gets difficult, they leave and they run. These hired hands are the false shepherds leading poorly. In verse 13, he continues, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And again, Jesus is laying into them. He's setting up this contrast. He says, okay, look, the hired hand leaves because they don't care for the sheep. You run when it gets difficult because you don't actually care about these people. But verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Again, he reiterates it. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. When you think about this, I think like verses like, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. I know my own, and my own know me. My heart is for you, not against you. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father." Now this, man, this blew my mind. I think it's easy to read scripture and you're just like, have you ever like been reading the Bible and then you read something and you're like, man, I have never." I've never seen it like that. Like, whoa, I've read this a hundred times and this never, look at this. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So, sorry, the verse before, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. He's saying, okay, you know how close Jesus and God are? This is the hope and the expectation of us and Jesus that Jesus would know us intimately and that we would know him intimately, that we would be on the same wavelength, we would be thinking the same thing, our hearts would be the same. Just as I know the Father, you can know me. Man, so good. I to my own sermon. (laughs) So good, come on. Uh, So even think about this in your own life. How well does God know you? He knows you full well. How well Jesus knew the Father and the Father knew him. Verse 15 continued, it says, And I lay down my life for the sheep. So not only do I know you, but I love you. (laughs) I'd lay down my life for you. You mean so much to me. This is what a good leader looks like, this is what a good shepherd is. This is what a good shepherd acts like. He knows you full well, and he cares for you so much that he lays down his life for you. Continuing in verse 16, Jesus says, "And, and I have other sheep that aren't even of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice, so that there will be one flock and one shepherd. You leaders, you think that this is about Israel. You think this is about uh, Judah, you think this is about your, your little kingdom here. You're not even doing a good job with this. I am a shepherd of the world. I am a shepherd of, 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 of Jew and Gentile. This is me being one shepherd of one flock, all mankind. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. Remember, me and the Father are really close Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Remember a few minutes ago when you guys wanted to stone me? It wouldn't have worked, man. Even if you did kill me then, you wouldn't have been killing me. I would have been laying my life down because of my love that I have for my people. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. Can any of you false shepherds do that? Do you have the authority to lay your life down? Okay, maybe, what about picking it up again? That's what I have. I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my father. And in some way, I picture this as like, Jesus has really established him as way better, right? <laughs> like he's, he's like not just a better leader, but he's like better on so many other levels that they're not even thinking of. He is the better shepherd. He is the better leader of these people. And I think maybe some of these, these Pharisees or religious leaders are standing there still with stones in their hand because he got away so quick. Maybe some of them still have stones in their hand from, from the, the woman earlier that morning that they wanted to stone. And with Jesus and his beautiful words and the stone in their hand, it's like, You're confronted with this reality of your poor leadership and his wonderful leadership. He's saying, I'm so in for all my sheep that I would lay down my life for them. You can't kill me because I lay my life down because of my care for my people. Now there is this really interesting prophecy, uh, shifting gears just a little bit, not a whole lot, kind of, um, from Ezekiel. This is like 600 years before this. And I am going to try to read this without crying because the stark contrast between this prophecy that Ezekiel or that God commands Ezekiel to make over the shepherds of his people after just reading this first part of John 10 uh, is really moving for me. Um, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a chunk. I'm just going to read it straight through. But I think it reads kind of well. Um, it goes like this. This is Ezekiel 34. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth with none to search for them or seek them. And thus says the Lord, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. He continues, he says, for thus says the Lord, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and I will seek them out. As the shepherd seeks out his own flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered. I can't read through my tears. Come on, bro. Um, (laughs) I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from all the peoples. This is Jesus. And I will gather them from all the countries and bring them into their own land. This is you and this is me. This is no longer about Jew and Gentile. This is a bridge that Jesus has already gapped. This is you and me right here. And I will bring them out from all the peoples, and I will gather them around the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and the inhabited places of the country. And this is the one. Man, it gets me. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. This is the picture of a true shepherd. Amen. This is the picture of a true shepherd, your shepherd, my shepherd. And maybe some of you feel like some of these abused sheep. If you've been around... <laughs> Christendom from any part of your life. I mean, you know the experience of church hurt. Can I get an amen? Gosh. It hurts. Maybe you had a, a leader fail you with no apology. Maybe you had a leader fail you and he convinced you or she convinced you it was your fault. Maybe you were hurt by a community of believers. So badly that you left and then you thought they would call, but they haven't. And then now, when you're at City Market and you see them, they turn the other way. (laughs) Maybe you're weak and you haven't been strengthened. Maybe you're the sick and you haven't been healed, or you're the injured and you haven't been bound up. You're lost and maybe you haven't been brought back. This is the point that Jesus is making about how, these poor, how poor these leaders of Israel were. And I think there's a lot of that in, in, in there for us today. Finishing this passage, we continue in 19. It says that there again was a division among the Jews because of all these words that Jesus was saying. Many of them said, he has a demon. He's insane. Why listen to him? Do, what? Could they miss the point anymore? Golly. This is, these are the leaders. But others seem to be taking interest in the fold of God. Others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Hopefully, in their hearts, they're saying, he seems like a shepherd to me. He seems like he's <laughs> mending this community that I'm a part of. It seems like he is good. So what in the world does this mean for any of you or me? Of course, I've, I've had bad leaders in my life, but what do I do about it? And I think the, the question that I asked in the beginning is, is kind of this, this, the tension of, like why does it seem so easy for the failures of our leaders to take out our faith with them when they fall. There's this tension I've been wrestling with, um, even even for me. I think this is the thing for, for all of us. Can you distinguish the voice of your shepherd over the voice of your pastor? The voice of your mentor, the voice of your leader. Do you know the difference between the true shepherd speaking into your life and just another leader. What shepherd am I actually following? And if you've been participating in church for any amount of time, you've probably been hurt by it. Seems like in some scenarios, the closer you get to a church or a community of believers, uh, maybe they, you have high expectations and they let you down, or you thought it was going to be one way and it's completely different. Maybe you have friends in your life that uh, maybe you're not a super strong Christian and, and these friends seemed like they were. You put a lot of faith and hope in them and then they let you down or they seemed worse than you were. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm sorry. But hear me correctly. I, I, I'm just saying like, like I, I don't think just because you've been hurt by a leader means you were following a false a shepherd. I think a, a beautiful thing about, about church and the way that God has designed relationships is that we are to be open with one another. And the difficult thing about when you're open to one another in a community as tight as one like this, you open yourself up to be hurt. Because if you're going to be known, you have to be open. And so I, I think, I think uh, church hurt is not synonymous with following a false shepherd, or I think being hurt by a Christian friend is not, they, they, they can be separate things. So what I'm, what I'm talking about is, uh, I think it's probably actually better said in the question that I ask, can you distinguish the voices? Do you know when you are being led by the true shepherd and not by anybody else? And you might be saying, uh, man, I don't feel fed here, <laughs> I don't feel fed in my in my small group, or I don't feel feel fed in my relationship. I don't feel uh, fed by my mentor, my leader. Great, actually, that's really good. What if this was a church where we came here with our bellies full? What if we were being fed by the one true shepherd, and not that here? I mean, I I actually love this church. I love how seriously we take the word and so you're gonna come here and my hope and my prayer is, yeah, you get fed. But but this is like appetizer stuff, man. This is dessert, hopefully. (laughs) But are your bellies full with the pasture, with the word, with the shepherd leading you to himself? The one true shepherd. What if we were a church that Like every sermon we heard here was like, yeah, I know. I get it. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. But instead of leaving and finding somewhere else or doing whatever or feeling dissatisfied, we stayed in the fold. Because the one true shepherd is still our shepherd, no matter what church we go to, no matter what community we're a part of, we stayed. Because what it means to be a part of the fold of God is loving one another and leading one another and being a part of each other's lives and spurring one another to grow. And for the new believer in the community, man, we surround them because we are getting fed by the one true shepherd. We have a value we talk a lot about around here called not just pastors. Not just pastors. Sorry to tell you, but you guys are... uh, (laughs) Are, um, for the rest of your life, you're in full-time ministry. So who you are. You are pastors. You are missionaries. You are leaders. And you are disciples. Amen. <laughs> you are. You're shepherds, too. But if you're a shepherd, if you're a leader, you need to be continually being filled by the one true shepherd. Now, the people who speak up on this stage, man, I, like, we, we tried to do our best. We were doing, like, sermon run-throughs and challenging one another to, like, okay, is this actually accurate? So we tried to do a good job. But if this is all you're getting, it isn't enough. You're hungry. You're going to end up in a cult. No, kidding. <laughs> it's, like, the worst time to say that. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, I had everybody. Um <laughs> So sometimes leaders in our life are uh, sometimes leaders in our lives are like thieves and robbers, and you just feel used and abused by this leader's influence in your life. And other times uh, they're just strangers; and you don't really know them, and they don't have a whole lot of influence in your life. Sometimes they're they're well intentioned hired hands who are trying to do the right thing, but then when it gets tough, they're gone, and you're left without someone you thought would be there. This is why our faith in God must be secured by relationship with him and him alone. Leaders come and go. Pastors come and go. Sheep, if you are like me, or sheep like me, um, the only way that the sheep knows the voice of the shepherd is by spending time with the shepherd I mean, think about it, even in this culture, they're probably selling and trading sheep and then all of a sudden, wait, does the sheep just forever not know (laughs) the voice of this new shepherd? No, the shepherd spends time with them. And so here's the thing, like I was saying earlier, uh, what Jesus said is like, as Jesus knows the Father, he knows you. Get to know him like he knows you. Spend time with him. Get to know your shepherd the one true shepherd jesus just pray oh, man jesus we are so thankful that you are a good shepherd your leadership is unlike anything else Jesus, I just, uh, Lord, I lift those up in the room today who, who have struggled with being let down by the church or let down by, by leaders that they, they esteemed highly and it hurt them, it broke their faith down. But Jesus, we thank you that you are a good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost and binds their wounds and cares for them. Holy Spirit, by your power right now, Lord, would you just overwhelm those in the room with, with past hurts as it, as it relates to you and your kingdom and their perception of you. Jesus, would you bring healing as the one true shepherd? God, would there even be forgiveness in our hearts to be found for those leaders who have let us down, that maybe they are sheep led astray too? God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you for your, your, your fold. We thank you that you are our shepherd. In your name, amen.